This festival season's just finished, really. Well, festivals this weekend. My favourite was my last one. Oh, where was it? Oh, Mosley yeah, Folk yeah. Fest. You had a good time there, didn't you? I had you? a great time. Yeah, I was at End of the Road that weekend yeah. with the lovely Grace Petrie. What a great little... Uh... Ah. She's brilliant. She yeah. well, I'm, I'm using her. Happy. If she came up to Edinburgh, I went, bring your guitar, I'll stick you on. I've got a night where I'm just in the corner of a social club shouting at people. And she came along and then brilliant. end of the road she was coming to. And I went, well, that was what was great, Josie. She sent me a text. There, there was, was like... such a beautiful... It was a stage just right on this sloping bit of wood. Yeah. Just what, like, like the... How the, big was the bit of wood? Uh, <laughs> was it like a table? Oh, no, well, you had uh, the... Uh, you had what like the shape of Hollywood Bowl, but to fit one person. <laughs> nice. Like that. Just I know, right. I know. You know, it's built. It was built by um, Major General Pitt Rivers in the 1860s because he, be- he believed that the ordinary working people should not be given the vote on more money, but you should put nice. If you're rich, you should put nice things on for them to come and visit. So that's what Lama Tree is. It's is nice things for people to come. He built my house, by the way, Pitt Rivers, and the house next door. Did that's he? how I know this shit. Yeah, because my where I live, Pitt Rivers owns like Dorset is kind of this shape, if you like. Like you know, we've sort of Sherburne up there and Weymouth there, and Pitt Rivers kind of owned from here to where I live here, and he could ride on his horse all the way back, going up his land. But this was the furthest bit of land away that he owned, so he built houses for his children here, so we wouldn't have to fucking see him. And one of them, one of them. So this was is Lama Tree Gardens or your house? Lama Tree Gardens. So there is no major. I oh, will do the introduction because this will be recording anyway, I, I presume. Is it? Can correct? I say? So, no, hang on. I'll just oh. say, uh, just so everyone no, knows, can this, I say? this is. No, I, yeah, I, you I, can. It, you can have a go first. It's starting like a radio for quiz program I can just yeah <laughs> bong and your answer for 10 is that's why I've got Jeffrey Lewis and the Jackals yeah. I'll always take favorite. a buzzard with you everywhere you go do Jackson. you know Jeffrey Lewis I've, I've seen his t-shirt have you, have you not heard his stuff no. you would love it would I yeah well, oh that's like? a very forthright thing of, to say oh, isn't it well I think you would because Jeffrey Lewis is a brilliant I assume he's entertaining well, that's and he always sings good. loads about you know Struggle. And struggle. Well, like struggle, bit, struggle with the living struggle dead, for instance. He does. He, he <laughs> sings about struggling with head. zombies. So you know, we can use that like a George A. Romero thing as a metaphor, as you know, Land of the Dead, where we see. I'm, I'm imagining you're a big zombie film fan of George A. Romero. No, I never did quite get the zombie thing. Uh, we see. I like my my uh, my scary movies to be a little bit more subtle, like the haunting, where you don't actually see anything. Mm. That that's always the ones that used to scare the pants of me, where you don't actually see the damn thing. And I, and I kind of tried to uh, inculcate my lad with that, but I'm not sure he quite grasped He does like to see... He was just complaining about monsters, that there weren't actually enough monsters in it. There was a bit of a monster here. And when the monster did arrive, it looked like a... This is a spoiler alert, if you haven't rented it already. It looked like an octopus with spider legs. Oh, well, Monster's been ruined for me because I did a Radio 4 show with the director and he gave away the ending. He went, I might as well give it away now. I went, I wouldn't. It hasn't even come out on DVD yet and I was going to go and see it. Yeah. So I can't How does it end? I'm not going to tell you because it's still available on DVD. Because the way I thought it ended was that the two monsters met each other and kissed. Oh. And then the two protagonists meet each other, or they've met each other at the beginning, obviously, but they finally kiss because you've been expecting them to get it on all the way through and they didn't. And it was kind of like... It was a kind of like a... a, a, a What's the word? What's the equivalent of um, uh, like a chick flick? I suppose is that what mm. it's called? Is that what you call? Um... I wouldn't. I wouldn't go near him. No, I'm not just saying that as a genre. Uh, yeah, I suppose a rom com. Uh, a rom com with with a mon rom com. Is that a mon rom com? Mon rom com. Yeah, mon rom com. Yeah, monster rom com. Yeah, yeah, in which the monsters. Although, if you think about it, you know, sort of 
Frankenstein's a bit of a rom-com, isn't it? And Dracula, the original Bride Dracula. of Frankenstein. What a, what a well, terrible a, yeah. anti-rom-com that is. <laughs> All of that stitching, and finally they go, look, we've made some of you, and she, having been brought back from the dead and stitched together, rejects the Frankenstein monster. Women, is, huh? Yeah. What can you do? What is it about the reanimated, recently stitched <laughs> dead female that makes them so difficult to Which live with? Which brings us beautifully back to zombies, where I think this circle may have started. A lovely idea, though, that oh, not knowing the end of a film... I. I, I think it would be a great thing that just if you watched every film and didn't watch the final chapter on the DVD and just yeah. didn't live your life, because Jacob's Ladder, have you ever seen that? No. Right, it's, it's Tim Robbins. Does he get to the top? Oh, I've seen that. It's fantastic. Well, actually, he does. Spoiler alert, but it was 1987. Let's be fair. Now you've had a lot of time. <laughs> but uh, there was uh, the, the basic thing is this guy keeps being haunted by nightmares. He thinks he was out in Vietnam. Yeah. He's not entirely sure uh, what's going on. There are you strange know... things in the backs of people's heads that wiggle around. And then it turns out they were experimenting on uh, Vietnam soldiers. They were using various different drugs on them to turn them into better I was soldiers. Say, I've had that weird thing, but not through being in Vietnam. Just engaging in activities that are occasionally reckoned to be outside of the law. Outside of the norm. norm. Society's norms norms. and its legal norms. Norms. I don't Um, know, I think isn't isn't a bit of... But Jacob's Ladder is great. Jacob's Ladder has this... Right till the, the end, you go, this is great. And then the last bit, you go, ah, oh, no, 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 no. When Macaulay Culkin is standing at the mm. top of the ladder to heaven, beckoning his father up, you go, well, this has ruined yeah. everything. Yeah, yeah. Well, I have the same. I have the same problem with the Incredible Mr. Fox, the recently animated version. Did you not like it. that? I did like it. I liked it right up to the end. The very end. What happens at the end? Is it a really happy ending? No, it's a, it's a thing that undermines the entire thing. There's this bit where they, after they've defeated all the farmers and Mr Fox is riding our, our intrepid crew back home on a motorbike and they're all in the sidecar and he's dressed as a human being riding a motorbike, they see a real wolf. They see in the distance a real wolf on its own in silhouette against some mountains. And, and the whole thing stops and, and the animated Mr Wolf looks at the real wolf and a tear appears in his eye. And there's a moment there where I thought, oh, this is really, this is definitely not in Ronald Dahl. He's actually recognising here that he is actually an animated wolf and he's not a real wolf. A real wolf couldn't wear clothes and fox, I'm sorry, a real fox couldn't wear clothes and ride a motorbike. And this is a really transcendental moment in which he recognises he's merely... It doesn't actually exist, and that nature is really out there and is not even interested in him because nature is like that. Nature doesn't care <laughs> what we're doing. Any of us, any of us listening, any of us now, nature is totally oblivious and will carry on long after we've gone. And this moment of transcendental amazingness, which even got me choked up, is spoiled by Mr. Wolf. Mr. Fox, I keep getting the two mixed up here. Mr. Fox in the motorbike puts his fist up, Che Guevara style, and the oh. bastard wolf does it as well. And it's oh. like, ah, come on. They might as well have high five. Oh, it, was, it was such an amazing moment of kind of just stepping outside, even outside of the premise of the film. And it just went... What's, that, what's the film where it's, it's black and white? Um, there's... Let's start, OK, let me see okay. if I can guess. Um, <laughs> if you can guess, it would be amazing. Thirty-nine oh. steps. Oh, that's no, a very close, good choice. Though. Listen, it <laughs> unless you're thinking of the Kenneth oh. Moore version, and then that's stupid. It's colourful. Yeah, yeah. It is about some people 
and they're all on a boat, but they're all a bit like, why am I on this boat? And they're going to an island, and they're all a bit like, I can't remember why I'm on this boat. Oh, hang on, are you it's talking like, about, and it turns out they're all dead? They're all dead, and, like, God is on the boat. Well, that was originally the, the, the very old one, one with Leslie Howard. Uh, Leslie Howard, who uh, may well have been a spy in World War II and died mysteriously in an aeroplane, which called? I'm sure you, you mm. knew. And uh, it's called um, The Ship What Did Have the Dead on It, <laughs> which kind of the title ruined the uh, the big yeah. uh, reveal. We'll, get, we'll, we'll check. Um, can uh, Adrian, uh, that's uh, Adrian, uh, who kind of pretends to be a producer, can you just look up Leslie Howard and uh, there's a thing with a ship? I can't remember if Joan Crawford's in it as well. It's I, like Grand Hotel, but much better. I, I, Sounds Grand like Hotel Titanic to me. But, <laughs> They're all dead. I mean, that's the, there's, oh. a, there's, there's a movie you can leave before the end and know how it ends, isn't it, Titanic? In there's fact, a movie that if you really want to be happy, you can leave before it begins it, yeah. and wonder what made you in the first place even consider you might want to watch such a terrible, terrible thing. But, they're, 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 you know, I was hoping there might be a twist at the end. Like, you know, they, they, they sink the iceberg. She gets the old lady of the sea necklace and then she chucks it back in the water. No. Oh, do you know what got me about that film? Cause I that was the twist. That's the twist is that they searched for it for so long and then she didn't even care anymore and she threw it away again. No, what got me about that film, because I, I had to watch it for something. I can't remember what they said. Can you watch, you know, one of those review programmes where you go, how come last week they had all these brilliant things and I've got rubbish and long mm. books? Yeah, and, uh, I know Titanic, that. The, the bit that got me was, that, right, all these people. Now, as far as I know, uh, people who are going to, uh, what, what do you call them? The, die? The, people are going to die? No, not people are going to die. They uh, hit an iceberg. This, Just get an iceberg. It was a radio film uh, programme. Uh, no, not die. Sounds like uh, they're going ah, to find... Titanic! <laughs> yes. No, hang on, that gets us back to where we were. Uh, people who are um, going to, you know, go down to the Titanic and find bits of gold and whatever, they're, they're called... not Grave, Grave robbers. Grave robbers, yes. Scavengers. Vultures. Well, they're what, what Michael Caine was and beyond the Poseidon adventure. Uh, but <laughs> In Egypt. What they do Limited they in his acting range. The Steptoe and Son, basically, of the Titanic, whatever you want to call them, played oh, yeah. by... Uh, Salvagers. Yeah, that's it. Salvage people. Right, the bit when they go, uh, right, hello, we got the old lady, uh, so um, we need to find out the necklace. Do you know where it is? Well, before I tell you where that will, uh, let me tell you about my love life. Now, I believe that <laughs> real people like that would go, look, this sounds lovely and we'd like to hear about it later, yeah. but we want to know where it is. Yeah. They would yeah. not, as keeps happening, when it comes back to her talking, she goes, at that point, I was naked and he yeah. was... They wouldn't be going, <laughs> oh, keep on talking. <laughs> because keep on talking, not a generian. <laughs> Let's have a look. Outward Band. I'm Outward Band. What year? <clears throat> Right, Leslie Howard? Mm. I don't yep. recall if it was 30. Right, we've, we've, we've checked now. And by the way, we haven't done an introduction to the show. I'll just do an introduction. Uh, hello, you're listening to... Uh, what's this show called? Utter Josie Shambles. With, uh, Utter Shambles. Uh, Robin Ince's Utter Shambles with uh, Josie Long. Yeah, I put you first once and, and your ego went mad. Oh, and our guest is Billy it? Bragg. Now, this will probably get put down earlier, so you may well be joining us as we discuss uh, Pitt River's um, influence on uh, the architecture of Dorset. There we go, I've and then we'll drop lovely, that in somewhere. I've got a lovely anecdote about uh, the Tradescants and um, Elias Ashmole, but I'm worried I mentioned it in a previous one. Yeah, I do. I, I, your whole Elias Ashmole thing. It's done, uh, isn't it? Uh, to, to death, really, isn't it? <laughs> You'll be going around, you know, sort of, oh, is she doing that Elias Ashmole? Yeah, she's still doing it. <laughs> well, what we, 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 what we, was we, the punchline <laughs> to the Elias Ashmole thing? <laughs> the punchline's basically that he... Um, Fell off his he bullied, no, he, he bullied the um, he bullied the widow of John Tredescant to death so that he could open the Ashmolean Museum. Oh, I think Pitt Rivers beats that. His entire collection was based on the premise that white people are smarter than black mm. people. 
I love, I, think that's, I love the museum. That's Obviously, I don't the like museum. the ethos. The museum is great because he was an incredible collector. Yeah, he was And he a, had an amazing eye for stuff. Mm. I mean, you know, you can't say he, he wasn't that. And he also, he more or less, this is Pitt Rivers, he more or less uh, founded the... Uh, the discipline of archaeology. Instead of just digging shit out of the ground and saying, oh, look at that! He actually worked out by stratification mm. where this stuff went. And he, he realised that even the little bits of stuff that weren't made of gold and you couldn't sell them actually told you something. So he's, he was a pretty smart guy, but he had some wacky Fruity ideas. Views. So he had, this, he had two, two sons, and uh, one of them was a bit of a lefty, and uh, he... he a horse whipped his daughter once when the son came to visit in the daughter. Classic lefty. Yep, yep. No, 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 no. The <laughs> Sorry, Pitt Rivers. <laughs> horse whipped his daughter, not the lefty. And the and the other one was a, um, a kind of like a, a one of the guys who was dabbling with the invention of the light bulb and electricity and all that stuff. You know that whole thing about um, Alexander Graham Bell not inventing the light bulb. It's absolutely true. He invented the telephone. It was uh, Orville Wright who invented the light bulb. Um, oh, um... James Cameron. Uh, yeah, yeah, yes, smart ass. Edison <laughs> invented the light bulb. Those media types, they're always like that, and they? It's just got, it's all right for you. You've got the internet. Yeah, that's right, Edison. Uh, this is why we never normally wear the headphones, yes, Adrian. This the young is why. suicide couple, it is outward bound, and it's yeah. a fantastic film. It's really Anyway, good. we're dealing now with the horse whipping of a young woman, so, the invention of a light bulb, so and hopefully, eventually we will also incorporate the death of an elephant. I'm confused as to why he horse whipped the daughter. Why did he Well, I heard that the, the lefty son came to visit at, uh, uh, at Lama Tree or wherever the... Uh, I'm not sure Lama Tree was actually his, his family seat. I think that was up on Cranbourne Chase somewhere. And uh, she spoke to the lefty son and the old man found out about it and was absolutely outraged. So it was all a bit... Wow. You know, I'm afraid, wow is a big word, isn't it? But I think you can use it there. I like the fact that we're basically engaging in gossip about long dead people. Well, you know... Well, you can do it. There's no libel laws good. and slander are all fine for the long dead. And I'll tell you what they're chomping at the bit on on the internet at the moment. It's all very well having this gossip about Cheryl Cole, nothing about Pitt Rivers... Oh, and now we are covering the area, yeah. the 19th century gossip that at the time... That would be a good site to set up. Yeah, he, 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 he's piano, he used to put miniskirts on its legs <laughs> rather than actually totally covering oh, the piano that's, legs. That's actually a myth, the reason why they put the, those covers on uh, the bottoms of chair legs. It was because a lot of men in those days arrived on a horse and they had spurs on, and the spurs were chopping up the end of the, edge of the table, so that's why they put them mm-hmm. on. Not because they were afraid that people would be sexually aroused by seeing the no. naked ankles of table legs. I mean, what kind of people are they? Are these tree huggers? What's the, going this on is a, you know, you're what wrong. Is this is the thing, is that men did wear... that. That's true, but men deliberately kept on their spurs because they hated women so much that even if they saw something that represented a woman, such as a chair or a piano, they would dig their spurs into it in a moment of destruction. So, yeah, I mean, we're, we're both right in a lot of ways. How does a chair represent a woman, Josie? I think it's too difficult for me to represent us all uh, and, and, and act as the oracle of us, but I suppose a chair represents a woman because it's... Sat upon? Sat, oh, yeah, yeah. oppressed. Oppressed, that, that right? Well, certainly the keys, of a piano, the keys of a piano are oppressed, aren't they? They're oppressed by the person who plays them. I think we're, we're doing fine here. <laughs> I knew you'd introduce some politics into it, Jodie, thanks. <laughs> I'm so my glad pleasure. I turned up now. It's my pleasure. So we're I, going to talk I've got something that I brought that is vaguely political. Look at this, right? This isn't a necklace that I would wear, is it? No. No, I would never wear this. Crikey. I should now say, uh, now go to Internet uh, Comedy Central website where you will see a picture of this necklace. Uh, it's it's quite um, bling, I suppose, is what it is. And I got sent it. You know, I've got a pen pal, the Black Panther's pen pal. Yeah. 
Um, I wrote back to him. I'm writing to a man who uh, was in the Black Panther. Well, he's sort of still in the Black Panther. He just Party. Thought, yeah. One, a member of the Black Panther Party who's been the coolest, most humane man in the world. Which you discussed in the with which the Dave I did Gorman in a when, previous when we, yeah. podcast. And he wrote back, and I've written back to him again. So we are proper pen pals and everything. And he sent me this, and he's um, like, I think he makes these, and you can buy them to help his. Campaign. Where does he live? He's in prison in Angola, in the. Yeah. In yeah. Uh, yeah, Alabama, Louisiana. Yeah, Louisiana. Louisiana, it is. Yeah, because it's so. LA, the um, state that's code, yep. and I always think that's Wasn't not that Los where uh, Lead Belly was? I think it was Angola State Farm. It's the worst. It's the worst prison in America. It's it's, it's the pretty worst. Bad. One. I, I, you know, I would argue there are some out in the high desert in California, the the, the uh, Lancaster prison in California. I would, I would argue might perhaps be worse, right? Because it's Actually, it's in it's in a desert and it's always a hundred degrees and there aren't any. A lot of them are in the gym. With no walls and just on, on beds and the the you know the blacks and the Chicanos and the whites are all in the same gym. So I, I'm, I'm, if I had to choose, at least in Angola you get to do a bit of farming. You don't get to do much in Lancaster. In, wow. Uh, in uh, in California. Gosh, that is um, superior American prison knowledge. Well, C- California is like a prison state. I mean, the the the, the prisons there are so powerful. And make so much money that there was some uh, uh, inquiry there whether or not that they were, you know, encouraging people to get sent to prison just so they could make more money. And they were actually, you know, bending the system to get more people in prison to make more money. Paid on results. Which, of course, is what uh, I saw a Conservative minister talking about last night on yep. on Newsnight, talking about paying people for, uh, uh, you know, getting people in and out of prison. When you bring the profit motive into all that, you know, it didn't work last time, did it, in terms of transporting back and forth? It was... Uh, no. See, this is... I, I know we, we weren't... Because I know you've, you've got a political podcast to do, but we might as well bring it up. And uh, that... that uh, go on. Is that with Aaron John Peters? Uh, we'll be speaking to Aaron John Peters later, yeah. I follow um, him on Twitter. I like him so you? much. Yeah, yeah. Is, I, is he nice? I don't know. I've never met him. But he used to look quite hunky. He's he's one of those people that oh that, that is so terrible. Suddenly you've changed that from political discussion to Sex in the City. Oh, isn't who's my favourite political, political podcaster? You know, sorry, sorry. I oh, think I like his opinion. So I'll tell you. I'll try and work out what my relationship to Aaron John Peters is. Okay. He is someone who is regularly retweeted by people I follow. So what does that make me to him? Cousin, um, second cousin. First removed. Hang on, that's not Mine's right. removed. Eventually, that is how, how familial Kindred. relationships will be established, by your internet relationship rather than any kind of genetics or bloodline, I would have thought. That I had to follow him because I, he, I had the same thing. I, he kept being retweeted, and I was thinking, mm. this guy's so cool. And now when yeah. I follow him and I watch Newsnight, and I'm like, yeah! Yeah. Because he was saying, like, he, was just, he just says things that I believe, but if I dare say them he on my him, Twitter, I get all kinds of He says I'm cuter than you. But he? he does say I'm a lot cuter. I'll tell him that. He'll be, real, he'll be made up. But I've already tweeted him before saying, I really like following you on Twitter because you say so many things that I agree with and it makes me feel much less mad and lonely. You know and what? he didn't reply. You know what, Joe? It's only a matter of time before he's sending you a strange necklace thingy bling thing that he made. Oh, my God, I can't wait. Do a lot, so, of, a lot of men <laughs> respond to you in that way? No, this is not... A, like, this is... Honestly, this, um, this pen friendship is the... Is so he cool. sent you not, a big metal no, heart yeah, because with a cross and what else is there? It's a peace sign. Like another, no, but no, this is because, he's give, because he makes them to um, to fund his campaign. So I was oh, hoping fair enough. people would get them. So actually, case. it's not actually... Because right. it's so big, he looks like he's pulled it off the front of a German motor. It's that big. He, well, 
You never know. I've realised where it all is now, how it all works. The whole thing fits together now, politically. It, there's a cut-off point, both for pop and politics and for P, capital politics, right? If you can remember buying stuff in the pre-decimal currency, you have a completely different mm. idea of why and how politics and culture fit together than anybody who wasn't. No, but I want it to be that way. I love, you know, I sit and think about the post-war government of 1945. No, 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 it's not that. And it's I not want... the post-war government. It's what happened in the, for, for pop, pop music. It's what happened in 1968. It's the, the huge student unrest right across Europe in 1968 was still over, completely flowing through what happened in 1977. Mm. And it kind of, that kind of carried on until the Berlin Wall came down. And then there was a break, which is understandable. I mean, you know, I could imagine the generation that followed my generation saying, oh, thank Christ we haven't got to do all that bloody politics. Yeah, which is how Shit. I think Which is, I think, is fair right? enough. Which is fair enough, and I have no problem with that. But the trouble is, because of that break, there's now an entire generation who are going to get lent on heavily by this government because of what went down in Tottenham last month, who have fewer opportunities to yeah. group around uh, and express themselves. Yeah, OK, Facebook is good and Twitter's all right and all that, but really, in the end, if you want to form a movement, you need to get people together. And, and the best way for our generation uh, traditionally to have done that is through, through music. And I realise I might be sounding like some old geezer from the 20th century. I am. But this, I feel that we should, you know, the 68 has passed that on to us sort of by osmosis through the NME and Melly Maker and, and sounds. Yeah, but do you not feel hopeful See, about grime it. music? Yeah, I do. I feel very hopeful about grime. I mean, that's partly one of the problems why the NME can't see there's any political yeah. bands, because black people are doing it. And the NME have never had a good, you know, unless these black people are doing something with, you know, Pete Doherty or something, they've never really had to connect that. I think the grime music is making the most powerful political stuff. In fact, I I'm do. going out in November with Akala. You know him at all? No, I don't know. Really great, really great guy. I'm working with him with um, uh, Sound of Rum. I'm going to do some shows with them as well. So, yeah, I mean, that's where all the politics is now. You know, there's no point in waiting around for, you know, sort of floppy-haired guys with guitars. They're but, all, you know, they're do, doing something else. Well, there is... Alan Moore says quite often that, yeah, that one of the things is to start... Who's been a previous guest on this, you, you know, Alan, don't you? Of course. Of and course. Uh, we'll get on to William Blake later on. Yeah. Uh, Has he been on as well? The, uh, well, do you know <laughs> we what? We dosed him down. Did those feet? Yeah, what we did... We, we channelled him, but looking back, I think Derek Akora, some of those quotes were from <laughs> Philip Larkin. Akora just had not done the research to channel <laughs> William Blake. just a few greetings cards. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You're looking lovelier every year. You're the best mother ever, dear. <laughs> oh, that's a great book I've got that... Well, it's not actually mine. Daniel Mayer, who's a, a great, great writer, and, and did a fantastic uh, show about Francis Galton as well, who, you know, wonderful uh, scientist who both had magnificent ideas and, you know, in the 19th century, so many ideas. Some of his ideas about eugenics are frowned upon now. <laughs> um, but he uh, he gave me this wonderful book. Oh, I wish I could remember the title now, which is um, interviews with Coleridge, Barham, mm. uh, Shelley, um, Shakespeare. All of these interviews were done between 1916 and 1918. And it's... <laughs> It's just brilliant because it's this medium who's using yeah. his, his mother's the link and, of, of course, course he doesn't have the level of imagination that the greatest writers of the last 400 years have. How, so, why? Well, it just appears that he falls <laughs> short somewhere in attempting to be William Blake, Coleridge, Shelley. Edgar Allan Poe, he almost manages by mainly just giving him a cough and a certain yeah. demeanour of melancholy. Oh, but, there's a really funny thing about Edgar Allan Poe because he was um, such a boozer 
and he got really, really annoyed that people were describing as a boozer, and he wrote this really angry letter saying, my sole beverage is water. <laughs> and um, that amuses me. I wish I'd seen the one flat that uh, Roger Mann did called Edgar Allan Pooh. <laughs> Just, it's such a minor that pun. That sounds good. It's Edgar Allan Pooh already sounds yeah, fun Yeah, it does, me. doesn't it? Yeah, I like the sound of that. Tragically, he's making too much money no longer as a performer, so every time that I or, or Stuart have suggested that maybe he... No, do you know what? I'm very happy. What does he what, do? You don't want to stand on stage, possibly being berated by people who've been disappointed by you. No, I'm very happy. What does he do? Oh, it seems odd. What does he do now? He's, I a, better, uh, he's a politician. <laughs> so the um, that that's because obviously one of your uh, the from greatly uh, that's what I wanted to ask you actually when you're doing festivals cause we were meant to talk about festivals we've got, well, we weren't meant to we could do festivals done, but <laughs> I mixing do them. pop and politics <laughs> I'm wearing a festival t-shirt that's how bad my laundry's got I'm now around to wearing my the thing that smelled nicest in my cupboard this morning it's just was the this promotional mofo materials. mofo mostly folk festival where I was at the it's weekend cool. which was a lovely little festival yeah and where was the which was the folk festival you did where you did a um, a, oh, what was it? it uh, we're sorry, Josie and me, I think, will be thrown because we've had one month in Edinburgh at the mm. Fringe Festival, which actually seems like 17 months. Yeah, I've done... Mm. I've totally done lost of... I kind of broke at Edinburgh Festival in a weird when way. When did you do Edinburgh? 1983. And what uh, did you do? I just went around and played in bars in the intervals, just went around and blagged a load of gigs anywhere I could. There's a lot of open mic stuff going on around what you lot do on the periphery. Really? I hadn't noticed. And, it must not be important. And... and um, <laughs> I literally did stand on the bar sometimes and play. And while I was in Edinburgh, John Peel played my first Peel session. So by the time I came back from Edinburgh, I was a made man. You know, I was getting offers of, of gigs outside of London, which I'd never done before, apart from someone suggested go up to Edinburgh and blag some load of shows. So I kind of went up to Edinburgh, a kind of like a, you know a grubby little unknown, and came back a grubby little known. How great is that? So I have very fond memories of the Edinburgh Festival and the madness of it all. Well, I was going to ask the, the Peel crazy. thing. Is it true the story that you went round to uh, basically where there were, you know Radio One and delivered a curry with your true. demo? It is no, not with my demo. I did, I, it wasn't my demo. It was my album. My album had actually come out, and uh, I that very day I'd left an album for Peel. I left a copy of the album for Peel to listen to, and I was playing football over Hyde Park with uh, some friends. And afterwards, we were having a beer and standing by this mate's car. We had football boots still and everything. And Peel, we were listening to um, Kid Jensen, who was on between 8 and 10, and Peel was on 10 to midnight then. And, and it was about 9 o'clock, or maybe eight, half 8, something like that. Anyway, Peel had wandered into Kid Jensen, and he said to, to Kid Jensen, I'd do anything from mushroom biryani. So I thought, hey, here's my chance. Because, I mean, I'd parked to the BBC. It's only, you know, half a mile. And there's plenty of Indians in between. So I went off in my football boots, bought a biryani, went down to broadcasting house, said, I've got a biryani for John Peel. So they phoned him up. He came down. said, oh, he's biryani, Mr Peel. My name's Billy Bragg. And uh, I've left an album, a record. I said, oh, thanks, great. Off you went. So I went home, tuned into the show, and bless him, he played the Milkman of Human Kindness <gasps> at the wrong speed. Oh, wow. Oh. Here's a long, was cool. slow but, but No, 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 he got it after about four or five bars. Now, hang on, wasn't that your, your album, though? Wasn't that a 12-inch that was 45 RPM, though? It was. Yeah, so there we go. Oh. So that, I, did, I did that with Miranda Sex Garden. Do you remember Miranda Sex Garden? Who I did, do. How is she these was, days? was uh, Medieval Madrigals. Hmm. I, again, it was... Uh, I can't remember why I, I played at 33 and 3rd. So even though there were some women on the front, it just sounded one. like some monks going... Yeah. <laughs> and then went... Yeah, they sounded... Re oh, um, And did you did they buy you a curry? No. Uh, the only 12-inch uh, that I've got that you play at the single speed is um, 
a soft sell, a tainted love with uh, where did our love go? Bloody cool. love it. Well, if you've got the 12-inch of Levi Stubbs Tears, which says um, Walk Away Renee, the monologue, Walk Away Renee on the back, if you play that at 33 RPM, uh, for those of you who are still playing music in decimal, pre-decimal ways, 33 RPM, uh, it sounds like Frank Bruno telling a really sad story. <laughs> well, I'll do that now. Still do, like yeah. That's good. Do, yeah. Why, by the way, it's entirely separate thing, why isn't days like these on either of your uh, great big box sets? I know it's a historical artefact now in terms of what it references, but... Uh, basically, there's an American compilation called uh, Reaching to the Converted, which, oh, right. for contractual reasons, uh, mate, I couldn't put all those tracks onto the box set. So you'd have to buy the two box sets and that one, and then you probably had I everything. Think I have. You I think probably I have. have. Ridiculous. I'll tell you what, give me, a, give me a mushroom biryani, and I'll sort it out for you. No, that's no good. That's no good. Festivals. Festivals, yeah, this was what, one of the things that I wondered is uh, when you do the left field, which mm. is, uh, you know, yeah, Glastonbury. I did that. Yeah, I yeah. did that. You did jolly well. As had well. a good time. Yeah. The um, <laughs> sorry. But when when it's you okay. do that and you're you're doing your set in the evening, are, are there any songs now that you because you know you have a big sing along uh, moments yep. there, uh, New England, mm -hmm. etc. Uh, Can I say I made uh, some videos of me and my friends while we were watching, we were singing along, and um, me and, me and my friend didn't help the the quality of the sing along. <laughs> it's a, it's but that's a, I think one of the great things about your sing along is is yet again the the level of passion is made up for any shortfall in yep. terms of, of note I mean, reaching. most people are singing better than me, uh, certainly when I made those records back in 1983, so I don't think anyone's going to worry at a Billy Bragg sing-along. <laughs> whether they're totally on the note, it's not like uh, opera, is it? Yeah. He was. I'll tell you what, he was note perfect, but I looked in his eyes and he didn't care. Yeah. Boo! <laughs> Stop the sing-along! <laughs> uh, I do try, I have to say, I do try and sing in tune these days. It's something that's slowly... Uh, it seems to me my voice is slowly coming round to... To being able to hold a tune a bit better. <laughs> well, I, well, I was down at the, doing a, a gig at uh, Eden Project. Oh, yeah. uh, in fact, the two days before doing the left field uh, yeah. for you with uh, Lauren Bowen. Mm. Lorraine Bowen, who Lorraine, yep. she did. Uh, Lorraine Bowen did. Uh, she did work a lot with of the you. backing vocals on. Uh, uh, Don't try this at home. But didn't she, she also? You, you spent a long time working with her to go. Yeah, this, she, this is going to be the album where Billy Bragg sings. Well, I recognise that I. I I've never been, you know, music musically. I'm not a great, I'm not really a great musician, Judge. I'm all right as a writer, but I'm not a great musician. It's just nobody will sing my quirky songs. So that's why I had to sing them myself and play them myself. But I've realised that I really, if I tried harder a bit more, I, I should, you know, when I'm recording the vocal tracks, I should get them a bit more on. So Lorraine came along and came in the studio with us and sort of helped me and said to me, me and the producer, oh, yeah, you're not really singing it right there or it's, why don't you breathe there or you're slightly off key there. So we had her in the studio for a couple of hours. But I think working with her made me suss it a bit more, you know, because so, I didn't, now I can kind of tell when a guitar's not in tune, whereas before I'd have to put it, plug it in and see if it was not in tune or someone would have to tell me. So gradually I'm getting the hang of it. By the time I'm 70, 75... I'll That's what you want. You want to peak at the end. Yeah, I, think I also do, think yeah. you built up a good demographic of people who also didn't know if your guitar was in tune, so yep. you're, you're predominant. And the way I play it, you know, it's kind of like... It could be, could be said to be... Festivals. No, but I find that interesting actually. Just back <laughs> that because the, even though you say you're not you're not a particularly good singer, where every now and again there's a thing called karaoke circus, which Josie and uh, me do with oh, uh, our friends do Danielle Ward and Martin White, mm. and it's basically a live band with comedians showing off. And uh, yeah. I, I did never two, met a two comedian. Boys did, last never, time. never met a, the comedians in this sense. Comedians listeners at home are like politicians. <sighs> I never met one who didn't want to be a rock star. 
I well, don't want to be a rock well, star, did, but I just um, love Young to Hearts sing. Young Hearts Run Free. Oh, oh, oh lovely version I can, I can tell you my list of songs that I've done. Nothing compares to you, Young Hearts oh, Run Free. Oh, not as good as Michael Legg's version. Suspicious Minds, very true. Suspicious Minds, Do You Remember the First Time, Babies, Dirty Dream Number Two. That's my repertoire. I, I generally do uh, Nick Cave, Joy Division, or Rolf Harris. That's uh, good. good. Mercy Seat, that's a long one to, yeah. to, to do. But every now and again I've thought, oh, I might do Billy Bragg. Actually, though, they're quite hard. They're quite hard to cover if you haven't got much of a range, which I don't have. That's why I picked generally people say, down here. This that's is such fine. a ridiculous conversation. No, but I find it quite, you know, every now and again I've thought... Why so? Well, because Josie, can I just say now, you have finally realised in our fifth series of podcasts that this is a ridiculous conversation. Yeah. If you'd ever listened back to any of them, none of them have been really... There's a reason this isn't going to be on the radio or television. I think that's me, isn't it? No. No, no you're still young enough. It's me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Grandpa Walton sitting in the rocking chair going, we love Josie Long, but maybe we can put it together with more kind of a Jack Whitehall figure. <laughs> Um, uh, my my uh, karaoke tunes of choice are Hi Ho Silver Lining. Oh, very good. Uh, uh, Daydream Believer. Oh, nice. Leaving on a Jet Plane. And me and my son together, I'm very, very proud of this, once at a party at our neighbour's house, had a big party one Christmas and they had a karaoke machine. There was loads of people there and everybody was taking it in turns to sing and there seemed to be, it kind of got a bit fixated on David Bowie for a while and everyone had to go. And eventually me and my son together found on the karaoke machine, I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts. <laughs> and we both sang that in as broad a Cockney accent as we could and that ended it. After that, nobody else wanted to have a go. Everyone was like, oh, as if we'd killed it. It was brilliant. I'll never forget it. I'm so proud of it. The two of us really belted it out as if our lives depended on it. And the asides as well. They're lovely. <laughs> They're That's, lovely. It's the Billy, Cotton, the, the Billy Cotton version we were doing, if anyone's interested at home. That was one of my favourite things. One of the gigs that I was playing in Edinburgh was uh, the Royal Antediluvian Order of Buffalo Social oh, Club. Oh, the buffs. And uh, oh. it was uh, it was great because it was a real far trap of a room. Uh, MJ Hibbert, for some reason, who was looking after the, the gig, they, they decided that the best way of keeping the light out was by putting tinfoil on all the windows, which in a room which already has... People were sitting on the stage, sitting in, in window ledges, wherever. They were all around. Me. I'd like to do this me. gig next And it was year. really great. And, and Grace Petrie came along one night and, and sang some, some brilliant stuff as well. Um, um, but the, Frank, who was the bar manager there, and uh, he's an old soldier, and he, he, his, his daughter kept saying, oh, he's a, he's a lovely singer, he's a lovely singer. So on the last night, I said, Frank, oh, that's how I want my show to end. He, and he went, I'll have to use the karaoke machine. And it was lovely to end the show with Frank, the old bar, you know, the bar manager mm -hmm. there, singing My Way. In, ah, in beautiful. A proper, and it was just a, in, a, in a proper... It, it was that, that, that thing when you're that talking about lovely, the 80s, yeah. the fringe. You know, yeah. in the early 80s, this is what was so great yeah. this year, is things like the free fringe and things well, like the stand. Would you, would you like to end the show with me singing I've Got a Lovely Bunch of Coconuts? Yes, I would. Yes. And in the most moving way possible. Right, I'll probably have to stand up. Yeah. <laughs> this is the best podcast in? ever. <laughs> what key do you want it in? You have to join in as well. Do you want to be counted in? <laughs> I might have to be counted out. Can I, say, <laughs> can I say at this minute, Billy Bragg is standing very proudly... Uh, I might untuck my T-shirt and all. Here we go, then. Let's see if I can pitch you in the right key. I've, I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts. Have a banana. No, not yet. <laughs> Josie, <laughs> Josie if you coconuts. let the Cockney sing-alongs, they'd be over early. Please, be no please cut me out. Cut oh, me out. I'm no, from the suburbs. I got excited. Oh. I was only joking. Keep going. Oh, I've got to recompose myself now. <laughs> I can't there believe, are. Josie, I know this is a there rubbish are. show, but to screw up, I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts <laughs> in the first line. I'm having we're, too much fun Josie, this Josie, we're afternoon. only going to do the traditional sides. I'm not going to join okay. in. Okay, we're not going to do any I only did hop. it because it was a bit of fun. That was faux. That was totally faux, that aside. 
And this is not faux music, this is proper music. (laughs) I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts. There they are, standing in a row. Big one, small one, some as big as your head. Give them a flick, a flick of the wall. Give them a twist, a flick of the wrist. That's what the showman said. Oh, I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts, and everyone you it will make me rich. There stands me life, the idol of me life. Singing, roll a bowl, a ball, a penny a pitch. Come on, you two. Singing, roll a bowl, a ball, a penny a pitch. I'm not joining in. Roll a bowl, a ball, a penny a pitch. Have a banana. Have a banana. There stands me wife, the idol of me life, singing roll a bowl, a ball, a penny, a pitch. And your mushroom biryani has arrived. No, I can see why that would end the karaoke. That was great. You've been listening to Robin and Josie's Utter Shambles. The podcast was produced by Adrian McKinder and edited by Mike Pell. For more podcasts, go to comedycentral.co.uk slash podcasts. Hello, everyone. It's Thank you, up. Josie. That was <laughs> lovely. Thank you, B. What a lovely, what a lovely afternoon we've had. Thank you so much for doing it. It's an utter shambles. It is. It's a mess.